This is the Tribune Audio Network. Let's pretend that we just turned everything on. No, I'm getting And begin. Hi. 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 <laughs> Um, so that's a lot of highs. We have Ooh, extra we're people here today. Very high. <laughs> it's a crossover. It's Freudian Sim Survivor Pete. Yeah. Oh, oh, what you guys did that, there. That sounds great. <laughs> I love it. This is, oh yeah, I'm Jenny. I'm Danelle. I'm Anna. Oh, oh Kenny, sorry. We forgot. Okay. Sorry, Kenny. Now. I'm Anna. <laughs> and I'm Bonnie. <laughs> and we're all together. We're very excited to do this, like, we're meeting you. We're, and we're fans of you. And we're very, yeah, we're very nervous. We've been talking all day about how nervous we are because we're like meeting celebrities right now. Yes. In our <laughs> you guys are hilarious. That's the funniest thing I've heard all year. <laughs> but thanks. We're very excited too. Yes. We like it. We've, I don't know. We've never really done a crossover mm. episode. So this is our first no. one. We're excited. So should we talk about what we're drinking? Yeah, let's talk about what we're drinking. So I know you guys also do some drinking during your show. (laughs) We've been known to do some drinking. The only way we can get it done, baby. (laughs) Same here. Okay, tell us what you guys are drinking. We actually picked up, and I don't think Mama's very happy about this. She doesn't prefer red wine, but it's my favorite. So I picked up a special Cabernet Sauvignon called Liberated because I thought it was uh, apropos to talking about survival, where you're liberating yourself from stressful and threatening situations. Oh, I like that. I very like that. Very she's, and I love she's, it. Yeah, so. she's very thematic. She's I, good it, at that. If you want to know how extra I am, I thought about ordering wine and sending it to you so we were all drinking the same wine. <laughs> oh, man. I just didn't that. get my stuff together before that. That's something Jenny would do, too. I yeah. feel like you're very buttoned up in that way, Jenny. Yeah. I think you would do that. I would never. I would, like, roll in with, like, a, a pre-opened, like... <laughs> wine box like I did last time I found this wine box in my trunk we're gonna drink this today (laughs) yeah don't mind it's already been open but it'll be fine okay so how about you guys what are you doing over there well it's an interesting situation so Danelle why don't you tell them what you're doing well I am drinking some Welch's sparkling grape juice cocktail Um, it's not an alcoholic because I went on a bender last night with my girl. I went out with my girlfriends. Oh, my no. On so we went to a champagne tasting and then went to the bar afterwards and pretended like we were 21 again. So I, okay. I texted Jenny and I'm like, I can't drink today. I'm not. So I'm drinking non-alcoholic sparkling grape juice, as is Kenny. And it's delicious. It's pretty I was, delicious. Yeah, I was going to say, it's still good. It's fun. very good. It um, has a little bubble to it. I just want you all to know I'm still drinking the box wine from the other week. <laughs> good because it's sitting here and uh and i might have some sparkling as well just to like join in in the team camaraderie of drinking sparkling the peer pressure will get to you yeah uh, (laughs) opposite peer pressure where you're the only one drinking and everyone else isn't so you're Mm -hmm. being pressured not to drink Mm -hmm. yeah pressured not to drink when does that happen (laughs) dare didn't teach me about this i don't know how to handle it Mm -hmm. i know i know so here i am with my red wine alone alone Nope, You're not alone. You we're drinking Anna red Bonnie wine with you. With you. Yes. Yeah, we're with you. Okay, thank you. Now I don't feel so alone. <laughs> You're not drinking alone. It's so not, not that alcoholic. sad drinking alone thing because <laughs> yeah. you're not really. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. All right, so let's get into this. Do you guys want to tell us a little bit about, you know, survival <laughs> like psychology? Like, you know, wink. Yeah. <laughs> 
survival so, psychology. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we should introduce ourselves. We are from the Freudian Sips podcast for all of you listening on the Sip Survivor Pete podcast. And our thing is that we drink wine and talk about psychology. So we kind of wanted to talk about the psychology of survival and just how people in all the stories that you guys tell manage to survive the situations they do. Because, I mean, as we've heard, it's crazy stuff that they get out of and they're able to do feats that seem like superhuman. And how does that happen? How, mm-hmm. how, does, how do our bodies do that? Mm-hmm. So sometimes, by the way, when I'm listening to you guys do your tell your stories, I, uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> You have to like stop it listening and walk away. It freaks me out. But it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome though. The one that freaked me out the most though was when Danelle talked about the bear attack and there were like face ribbons. I was oh, like, oh, oh, yeah. oh face ribbons. It likes a good face ribbons. It's gross. It seems gross. very like festive for the holidays. Oh, face ribbons. Oh, that's bad. It's gross. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. So tell us about some psychology. I know obviously a lot of psych goes into fight or flight or PTSD. Like, tell oh, us about man. that. Oh, man. You just laid it all right out. It's all perfect. Of it. You outlined what we're talking yep. about. You what I want to talk about is the fight, flight. And I'm actually going to talk about fight, flight, freeze. Because, I mean, Ooh. we all call it kind of fight, flight. But there is a third response that is... I don't think it's equally as common, but it's seen in nature all the time. It's it's present. So that's definitely one of the things that we need to consider when we're in a threatening situation or when we hear about people in threatening situations. And they're basically what they sound like. So fight is preparing to physically fight for your safety. Mm-hmm. Flight is preparing to haul ass yep. and get out of the situation. <laughs> Freeze is not moving or even playing dead, we see in nature. So that's in hope that the threat will pass or the predator will lose interest in you. And it's a valid survival technique. I mean, it has saved lives by just not fighting back and not trying to run away. They're all kind of valid. It just kind of depends on the situation and how our brains decide which of these they're going to trigger. And if we look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, animals and us, by extension, have to react to threats quickly. We don't have time to think about it. When we're in these threatening situations, we don't have time to say, oh, what's my best option here? Let's let's take a minute. Should I run away? Should I punch him in the face? Like, we don't... (laughs) We don't have time to do that. We just well, have... that's what I was going to ask is, how does your body know what to do? Mm-hmm. It, it's, uh, it's all that evolution shit. It's exactly. like we, we base it on millions of years of evolution and running away from predators. And our unconscious brain is able to make a split second decision on, am I able to fight this predator or should I run away because I'm not able to defeat this predator? Or are neither of those going to work and I need to just play dead or freeze? Mm-hmm. So it's a whole lot of evolution and a whole lot of our ancestors and how they survived things and that determines how our brains make that microsecond decision on what we're going to do another question about that if like as a person who thinks about being attacked on the regular because i am <laughs> insane apparently um <laughs> if, if you in your head like i used to have when i lived alone in my um, apartment, I would lay in bed and think of like my plan of attack. So like, like if someone strategy. broke oh, yeah, into sure. the front door, this sure. is what I would do. Yeah. When a situation like that actually happens, will your brain just override whatever you came up with and say, it'll just make you do 
one of those things. Basically, yes, we can't really know how we're going to react in one of those situations. I think that planning for those things is a way to prepare ourselves for kind of, I don't want to say like overvaluing how good we would be in a fight. Because I do the same thing. I have a, a wooden bat that I got when I got my first apartment and I keep it by my bed. And so I'm ever like, you know, if I ever hear anything from downstairs, I'm going to grab that wooden bat and I have all these. That wooden bat out. Yeah. They're better than aluminum. Hey, anyone listening to this, any young ladies living alone, get a wooden bat. Better than aluminum. Because aluminum has the reverb. Mom, you taught me that. I know. I'm the one who gave her the wooden bat. So yeah. Oh yeah, I did. I had it in my first apartment. I handed it down. <laughs> this bat has been our, been our family for generations. I'm going to pass it to my kids. It's They're only slightly it used, and we're just going to keep passing it down. Uh, your your mama and your grandmama have bashed in plenty of skulls with this bat. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, I think those those kind of what-if situations, and I think listening to a podcast like you guys' podcast gives us these, like, well, what would I do in this situation? And it kind of gives us the tools to be more conscious about the decision. But when it comes to the stuff, it's split second. It's the the chemicals in our brains and our bodies. Mm -hmm. We don't really have control over it. I think when we feel more prepared, our body is more likely to trigger the fight instinct than the flight instinct. Because our, I mean, the way that triggers is, I think I can beat this predator. Right. The fight instinct triggers because we're saying, I think I can defeat this this threat that is coming at me. And if we're prepared for that, if we've thought of these threats before, we're more likely to trigger that. Interesting. That's crazy. I love it. It's always interesting to me where I think kind of the opposite, where I'm like, if I'm in that situation, I would just freak out and just freeze, where I think if you really are in that that situation, you might just do the opposite of what you think you're going to do. Like, I think that I would like freak out and just freeze, but maybe nature will kick in and I would just kick someone's butt or something. Yeah, I don't give know. Give the balls like, and run away. Yeah, you never know. Self-defense classes. So we can have do. that. Well, we I have dreams on a regular basis where I'm something is happening and I need to fight. And I try and punch or kick or whatever the intruder or the bad person in the nightmare. And for some reason in my dreams, it feels like my limbs are limp. Yeah. Like that's what the like, like the and I'm like, I need a dream. I need a dream. I don't know. Like strong arms that move dream. that are not limb. Like, yeah. It's almost like sleep paralysis. Yeah. I definitely am still asleep. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I think, I think that's a pretty common thread in, in dreams for people. It's this kind of anxiety dream mm-hmm. that you feel that you're not competent to overcome. I mean, speaking of psychology, mm-hmm. that's where that comes from supposedly in our dreams. You know, we somehow are judging ourselves as not competent enough to handle something. It might be something that's going on in your everyday life that you feel like you're not handling well. Right. It might not be about like a physical threat. It yeah. might be about like a stressful situation that's happening in your life. Yeah. Nice. Little, Interesting. Little dream 101 there. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So I'm talking about this fight, flight, freeze thing. And I want to mention that when we talk about like anxiety, just everyday general anxiety, these are the same responses that get triggered when we talk about like general anxiety. Right. So also, if you're listening to this and and saying like, I kind of recognize some of these responses as things that happen to me in my everyday life, like sweating is a big one that kind of triggers during these responses. And when I get nervous, I'm a sweaty girl. (laughs) 
I get very yeah, sweaty. Good to know and be on that same level with you because yeah. when we get nervous, I get a real good sweat stash. A real good sweat, sweat going stash. on. Yeah, mm-hmm. you just heat mm-hmm. up a little bit because I mean that's your sympathetic nervous system going. Ooh, ooh, danger! I mm-hmm. need to prepare for danger also. Mm-hmm. And I mean that makes sense if you're talking about survival stories where you're kind of empathizing with that. But it also happens in everyday life if you're just experiencing anxiety. Like we can experience these normal adult anxieties. And our stupid lizard brain goes, danger, death, danger, death, kill me, danger. And we're like, no, we're fine. And lizard brain's like, nope, nope, sweating, triggering sweating. Sweating is go. Yep. So how much brain stuff do you want? (laughs) We can keep it coming. I think we still want to talk about a little bit of PTSD because I think that will tie into our case. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or should we start with the case and then they can interweave? I think that's a good idea. That's a great idea. Just interrupt us whenever we, don't you think? Yes. Okay. I like that. Okay. All right. I'm ready. So let's get, okay. So we're going to start. This is a survival story and I might say her last name wrong. It sounds like a strudel. You're fine. (laughs) Really? A strudel? Yeah. Oh, Fritzel. Fritzel. Oh, Elizabeth this is a, Fritzel. This is a survival story of Elizabeth Fritzel. Okay. And um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. So Jenny and I are going to tackle this together. We split it up. Elizabeth was born on April 6th in 1966. It was the 60s. It was the 60s. <laughs> Things were fly. It was, you know. I think you mean groovy. Groovy. Thank you. <laughs> Things were groovy. That would be the 90s. <laughs> Peace, love, save the whales. I don't know. Okay. Her father, (laughs) Joseph Fritzl, was born in 1935 and in Austria, which they also lived during all this time as well. Yes. Joseph Fritzl? Yes. So my, this is an anecdote. When I was in second grade, we had to do a family tree. And a lot of my family is from Austria, like back in the day. And when I was a kid, apparently I couldn't read very well. And I thought it said Australia. Oh. When I got in front of my class to present, oh. I uh, told them I was from Australia and that, <laughs> uh, and I used a, an Australian accent. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, honey. And then as I got older, I remember remembering that, like, wow, I had so many Australian relatives. And then I looked back and I was like, oh, no, that said Austria. Oh, no. I mean, it's not like they were going to back check you. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. You could have said you were from the moon. They would probably would have been like, cool. I just think it's funny the teacher let me go with it. Flight or flight picked in. I'm not from Australia, anyone. Well, it's funny you say that, Jenny, my first typing this out, I put Australia and not Austria. (laughs) And I was, like, rereading, I'm like, that's not Australia, it's Austria. Because it said, you know, Austria, they were born in Austria in a a bordering town to Germany. And I'm like, Australia? Australia? You're like, (laughs) I don't think that's how it works. That's not how it works. Not so much, but I know where Australia is, so... (laughs) Okay. You're like, I don't know a lot, but I know that's not how maps are. But I know that's I right. know how maps work, okay? <laughs> I've seen a map. Um, you can't fool me. So, so her father was born in 1935, both in Austria. And then in 1956, just a little background on him, at age 21, he married his 17-year-old sweetheart, Rosemarie. And they had two sons and five daughters, including oh, Elizabeth. That's, that's a lot of kids. <laughs> that's okay. That's the scariest part of this story. <laughs> So um, the sad news is that Fitzel started Fritzel. Fritzel. I'm going to call him Fitzel. It sounds better. You can call him Dickwad, bro. Fitz- <laughs> Fitz- <laughs> You're allowed. 
Fitz You're Parker allowed. reportedly began abusing Elizabeth in 1977 when she was 11. Oh, God. So not, he was not a, a great guy. Oh, when she was no. 11. Yeah. Yeah. A little more background on her dad. In 1967, he broke into a home of a 24-year-old nurse. So this is a year after she was born. So Elizabeth was one at the time. So he broke into a home of a 24-year-old nurse while her husband was away, and he raped her while holding a knife to her throat, threatening to kill her. She screamed. And according to a report in 1967, um, that same year, he was also named as a suspect in a case of attempted rape of a 21-year-old woman. Um, And also he was charged with indecent exposure as well. He was arrested and he served 12 months and 18 month uh, prison sentence. The crazy thing is, I guess in um, crazier, (laughs) the crazier thing is in Austria, your criminal record is expunged after 15 years. So when I don't know for, I don't know if this is still like a law there, but back then after 15 years, they basically get rid of your criminal record. Hmm. So this comes to play later in the story as to all of these things that he was accused for and served very little time, mind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, will be completely expunged from his record. So no one will ever really know that he had this you know, CD mm-hmm. past. So yeah, so he had started reportedly abusing Elizabeth when she was 11. Um, not surprising hearing his past. So at age 15, Elizabeth started a course to become a waitress. I didn't know that there were courses wow, for that. Wow, you have to take courses. In Europe, wow. No, I feel like in Europe they have... Like you're more European, like you know more about Europe. I did. I did a study abroad. So She's from Australia. Like, what do they have in Australia, <laughs> Jenny? Yeah, correct. I was in Australia. No, I, I literally her, was her motherland. Motherland. <laughs> I'm just oh, so embarrassing. Um, no, I I was over there, and you like not everyone is like in, in the United States. I feel like everyone has this. You have to go to college if you want to be successful. You have to go to college if you want to be successful. Well, in Europe, I feel like it's much more like, well, you should go to college because that fits you. You should maybe go into this because that fits you. Right. And like you're perhaps a server or something at a restaurant. It's not like you get paid $2.50 an hour and like get tips yeah. like you do right. here. It's like you actually get paid a decent wage for and work that's their that career. Like that's, and that's their yeah. career. Like, is it like a trade school? I would think it sounds of. like it. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like they have all these trade schools for other professions. Like, being a florist over there is, like, badass. And she did it for a couple years. I mean, she it's not like a, a year thing. Like, it's it's almost like she studied this. Sure. And it's what, like what Jenny was saying, like, what she wanted to do. I just didn't know that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and what a... Um, what a thought you do what you're what best fits you versus like what yeah, you're being pushed what a into novel that. idea hmm. 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 so at the age of 17 and by this point it was january of 1883 or geez 1983 <laughs> we're going way back dang <laughs> At the age of 17, um, she ran away from home and went into hiding um, with a friend from work that she met. But unfortunately, she was found three weeks later by police and was returned home to her parents. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say she was dead. I was like, no, shit. You're like, Jenny's like, oh, my gosh, I picked the story. And she I don't have a background. <laughs> so they, they took her back home and she rejoined her waitressing course and finished it in mid-1984 and then was offered a job nearby quickly. So she must have been good at it and she got back on her feet. And then on August 28, 1984, after Elizabeth turned 18, she suddenly went missing again. Mm-mm. And her mother was searching everywhere for her. Her mom filed a a missing persons report. And for weeks, there was no word from her. Then out of the blue, her parents received a letter stating that she had gone, grown tired of her family and ran away. 
You know how you do. You know. Yeah. You grow tired of your family. Well, sure. Fucking well, well, you get, you grow tired of somebody sexually abusing yeah, you for sure, sure, I would say. Yeah. Exactly. I think you'd be a little more specific in the letter if you were angry and got tired of well, your, you know, father abusing you. So, I mean, um, that must have been hard because she already had a precedent of kind of running away. So I bet mm-hmm. someone would find it easier to convince people that's what had happened again. Exactly. Yep. So the letter was also postmarked from a small town, not nearby, but, you know, in Austria. So it was believable because she had done it again. And again, like you said, this is a pattern behavior. Right. Um, her father told police that his theory was Elizabeth wasn't going to return and more than likely joined a religious cult. Oh. You know how you do. Just yeah. how you do. Just how you like just join those cults. He said in his he, room like the circus is the circus a thing now. No, I should say it's a cult. He's like, yeah. Let, let's just go deep in there with a religious cult. And she's never coming back. Mm-hmm. So he demanded that she had talked about this for years, joining this cult and was really into it. And also, it stated in the letter that if anyone tried to find her, she was going to leave that country and go run to another country. She's so don't leave even Australia. Try. Don't even try to find me. Let me be in my cult. Everyone, just let me go be in my away. Australian cult. Yeah, mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> That's true. Okay, but turns out the truth was much darker than this. Mm. In fact, Elizabeth's dad knew exactly where his daughter was, and she was just 20 feet below where the police oh, no. were standing what? on his front porch as they were questioning him. Oh, my God. Oh. Goosebumps, and I already know the story. <laughs> the telltale <laughs> Elizabeth. Oh, no. <laughs> What really happened that day on August 28th is Elizabeth's father called her to come over to the family home. So I don't know if she was like living down the street or maybe was just coming from work or something like that. He called her to come over to help him load a door into the basement. Like he was remodeling the cellar and he needed help like getting this giant door in the basement. Let's see. So as she held the door, her dad put the door in the hinges and was like, you know, probably yelling at her as I can imagine, you know, her not holding it right or being awkwardly, whatever. This is how, just how I think. I just feel like if I was Elizabeth, I'd be like, get one of your sons to do this. Right. You've got five sons, dad. Yeah. Sexist. I'm not helping you do anything. This story is sounding more familiar as you tell it. And I'm just like cringing farther into my seat because I think Mm, I know what's coming and I don't, it's bad. It doesn't get better. (laughs) It doesn't Um, get better. As soon as the door was on the hinges, he swung it open, pushing Elizabeth inside the cellar. He then held an ether-soaked towel on her face, handcuffed her until she was unconscious, and threw her into the chamber. And I'm going to read a little blurb here, and then Jenny's going to pick up and go into more detail about what happens next. So for the next 24 years... 24 years? Oh, my God. dirt cellar would be the only thing she would see. Her father would lie to her mother and police, feeding them stories and sending them fake letters throughout the years. Eventually, the police investigation into her whereabouts would run cold, and before long, the world would forget about the missing Fritzel girl. But Joseph wouldn't forget, and over the next 24 years, he'd make that very clear to his daughter. Dun, dun, dun. So, so, okay, the mom had no idea it was in the basement. Oh, many questions. <laughs> well, that's part of what we wanted to talk to you guys about is there was a lot of red flags to us reading this as an outsider. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that as we kind of talk about what happens over the next 24 years, which is insane. Mm-hmm. But I think the letter that came that basically said she ran away again mm-hmm. was kind of the icing on the cake. Kind of led her mom to believe that maybe this is true. Right. Um, but... There's some more coming up that I would love your opinion on as far as like 
what's wrong with this mom or what's wrong mom. with these she's, people maybe sure. she's in denial mm-hmm. or maybe she's sustained years i'm sure she's sustained years of abuse as well i was gonna exactly. say sure she's abused <laughs> yeah, too. yeah yeah okay so at first uh there was just this one room and elizabeth would live in here uh by herself but every morning at 9 a.m Joseph would come down into the cellar and his wife was told that he was going down to draw plans for the machines that he sold. So leave me alone. I'm going down to the cellar, Mm -hmm. woman, making these drawings. This makes me very nervous because my husband has an office in the basement. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Jenny, go down there now. Stop the recording. Go down. So, like, you never never say, hmm, I'm going to bring my husband a cup of coffee while he works and go down and discover his secret sex bunker? What? That's what that's what I'm saying is like I my husband has an office in the basement and I go to the basement because it's my house, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I know these were different times, but like, I don't get that part is like, oh, he's in the basement drawn up plans. Great. Go down and bring him a cup of coffee or cup of tea. Well, if she was, I mean, again, I guess it's speculation because he didn't mention specifically that she was abused. But if she was being abused by him, maybe it was like, oh, thank God he's going to the basement again. I don't have Mm -hmm. to deal with him. Right. That's very true. It says also occasionally he would spend the night and it says his wife wouldn't worry because her husband was a hardworking man and he was dedicated to his career. Big yikes. So much yikes. So much. So much. So he would visit her a minimum of three times a week, but usually it was every day. And then for the first two years, he left her alone, just keeping her captive. Mm. Then he started to rape her. Mm. So two years into captivity, Elizabeth became pregnant. She miscarried 10 weeks into the pregnancy, which I'm kind of like, okay, that's probably better. Yeah. But two years later, she fell pregnant again. How could you not miscarry when you're living in filth in in the filth and under so much stress and trauma? Like, I'm surprised that she did give birth eventually. Mm -hmm. She gave birth in 1988 to a baby girl named Kirsten. And then two years after that, she had another baby, a boy named Stefan. So this is where it gets real disgusting. Um, I mean, let's be honest. It's already real disgusting. Yeah, it's yeah, already pretty yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are two kids. Then she continued to get pregnant. Overall, the 24 years that she was down there, she was pregnant seven times. Oh, oh my God. Following the fourth child's birth in 1994, Joseph allowed the enlargement of the prison. So this mm. this tiny room that she was living in with these kids, mm-hmm. he finally said, we've got to make it bigger. Let's renovate. Let's renovate this cellar, guys. And then the HGTV He's came like, in. <laughs> He's like, guys, it's a HGTV. <laughs> and surprise. Flip that sex dungeon. Flip or flop. Oh, God. Flip or flop, you guys. Flip okay, flop. so this is what happened. He put Elizabeth and her children to work, and they spent years digging out soil with their bare hands. Uh, how oh old were God. the kids at this point? They started this in 1994, and the first child was born in 88. 88. So, math, six, Max not six. old enough. The oldest one was six. Yeah. They could okay, dig, they so could dirt with my, uh, my empathy for the mother is becoming less and less, because uh-huh. you're yeah. not telling me that she didn't know there were four kids in the basement. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's insanity. So, here's what happened is Fritzl, Joseph Fritzl told Elizabeth, that the three children who stayed with Elizabeth, uh, Kirsten, Stefan, and Felix, would be gassed if they tried to escape. Oh. The other children, I believe there were three. I think two were upstairs. Was it two? I think two were upstairs. I could be wrong. 
So she was um, pregnant seven times. She had two miscarriages? Yes. Okay. Five children were born and, and lived. Three stayed with Elizabeth. Two, Joseph took upstairs and he had these elaborate plans to like, he, he basically would like go out and quote unquote, find babies in the bushes. Like, look, someone abandoned their baby in the bush. And now I brought it home. And he had his wife raise the child, oh both of them. Yeah, like he would come up with elaborate stories like, oh my gosh, someone just abandoned this child on our front doorstep. Mm. We were going to have to take it in. Like, Was it like when I've read this years past, did he ever say like, oh, this is Elizabeth's child from that religious cult she's in and she dropped it off here? Was that one of his stories? Yeah, the first one, he said it was Elizabeth. Then the other ones were just random kids that he found. Because, you know, the word gets out that people can leave babies in your bushes, and then you just become a baby-dropping thing. It's just a a a stop. You're a baby busher. Yeah. You're a baby busher. Yes, that is what you become, a baby busher. He said each time a child uh, that he brought up would be swaddled neatly and accompanied with a note allegedly written by Elizabeth. So you're right. Claiming that she couldn't take care of the baby and was leaving it for her parents to keep safe. Mm-hmm. But little did the wife, her name's Rosemary, little did she know that these were kids born of her daughter and husband, oh. which is, makes me want to vomit a little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking um, of sweaty, I am very sweaty right now. Yeah, I'm getting a little scared. I'm a little, I'm, I, got, I got a little ongoing too. Okay. <laughs> Shockingly, social services never questioned the appearance of these children, and they allowed Fritzel uh, and his wife to keep them. So sidebar, back to his past history where his record was deleted, Uh that's why social services never flagged. So if his record had not been expunged from when he was younger, from those rapes and everything, Mm -hmm. he would have never that's government. You can't tell me the people in the town weren't like, Joseph's up to something, right? This guy's a little sketchy. This guy's a little sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So it's unknown how long Joseph was planning to keep his daughter and her children captive in this basement. Uh, He had gotten away with it for 24 years. But in 2008, one of the children, Kirsten, fell ill. Mm. So at this point, Kirsten was the first one born. was 19 years old. Oh, my God. And she needed medical attention. Grudgingly, Joseph agreed to take her to the hospital. He removed her from the cellar and called an ambulance, claiming that he had a note from Kirsten's mother explaining her condition. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do, Joseph. He just loves right. writing Bring notes. He loves to get out his little calligraphy set and just uh, forge yeah. some notes from Elizabeth. Exactly. So, well, a lot of times he'd make Elizabeth write these notes. Oh, so, oh man. Like the mental, I just am like, I don't even know what Elizabeth is doing now, but eh. okay. Yeah. For a week, uh, the police questioned Kirsten, asked the public for any information on her family, because again, they weren't sure who the hell this girl was or where she came from. Mm-hmm. No one came forward because obviously Joseph and Elizabeth were the parents. Uh, they grew suspicious of Joseph and reopened the investigation into Elizabeth's uh, disappearance. Freaking good. Mm-hmm. How, how could you even go outside? Later, no big deal. How could you even like be out in the... Wouldn't I mean being cooped up in a room basically for with no sunlight or yeah. anything else? Yeah, you wouldn't even mm-hmm. be able to look outside. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's insanity. So they started. The police started to read the letters from Elizabeth that she had been leaving, uh, and they found a bunch of inconsistencies. Oh, so Joseph finally felt the pressure, and he had a change of heart. 
Um, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Yeah. What the heck? That's no, not he right. <laughs> he, knew he, was caught. he knew he was gonna get caught. Yeah. So yeah. on April 26, 2008, he released Elizabeth from the cellar for the first time in 24 years. Oh, Disgusting. God. Do you know what the first thing she did was? What? She went to the hospital to see her sick daughter. Oh. Oh. Was the first thing not to punch her father in the face? Because that seems appropriate too. Yeah. It does. Fight or flight or run. Right. Fight or yeah. flight. Waiting 24 years. Finally fight the asshole. But, right? but it will be interesting to find out. Like, did she want to continue having a relationship with him after that? Or did she uh, break away from him I and get away? I don't believe so. No. <laughs> so she, once she got into uh, what happened to her, you know, she, you know, obviously started talking to the police because they started questioning her when she came and, and met with her daughter who was 19 right. uh, and she explained to them how her father had kept her in the basement how she had bore seven children she also said that he used to make her watch porno films and then he would rape her and then he had been abusing her since she was 11 uh, so the police arrested Joseph Fritzl that night were the other kids with her did he let them all out no after the release or I'm sorry after the arrest the children were the rest of the children in the cellar were released oh so they were still oh. down Rosemary the mom said she had known nothing about the events taking place right under her feet Mm. And Joseph backed up her story. They also had tenants who had lived in an apartment on the first floor of the Fritzl home, which is also creepy. They said they also didn't know what was happening. But they did. Didn't they claim to like hear noises every now yeah. and then? And like, so they heard. Well, yeah. Uh, they heard noises, but they uh, Joseph would just tell them it's faulty piping and a noisy heater. And he had it, Jenny. You pointed this out the other day that he had super like insulated this place. Oh yeah, like yeah. it wasn't just like your regular cellar. Like it was fully insulated to soundproof. Soundproof. Right. Thank you. Right. But still, it's like um, I hear something that sounds like a baby crying, and he's like, "That's the pipes. Pipes. Don't worry about it. That's pipes. Just squeaky pipes." So. Today, Elizabeth Fritzl lives under a new identity in a secret Austrian village only known as Village X. And her home is under constant surveillance and the police patrol every corner. So obviously there's a lot going on with her that she needs a lot of protection. Extra help. Yeah, for sure. She's in her mid fifties at this point, but the last photo ever taken of her was when she was just 16 years old. Oh, I didn't know that. I just got chills. I know. Mm-hmm. Efforts were made to conceal her new identity uh, and keep her past hidden from the media so she could live her new life. I don't know. They Many believe, however, they've done a better job of ensuring her immortality as a girl held captive for 24 years. So she's still, like, captive in her own, yeah. you know. Yeah. Are her kids, did, did her kids stay with her? Uh, Yes, some of them are. I think the other ones have moved on. Yeah. But I mean, if I was mean, 19 by the time it ended, yeah. Mm-hmm. I but know, yeah. Psychologically speaking, though, like, how do you get over that? Well, I know, I read, like, the one, so, uh, is it Kirsten or Kirsten? Kirsten, she would, um, after the fact, she would have, she would tear out her hair in clumps. Mm-hmm. And she would have her, she would also, she was also known to, like, shred her dresses and, and stuff them in toilets. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, it's just uh, something that, a way for her to cope. Yeah. And then um, the son, Stefan, this is really sad. Afterwards, in an article I'd read that he couldn't walk properly mm. because initially he's 5'8", but the, 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 um, the ceilings in the cellar were only 5'6". Oh, oh, God. Oh, my God. So hunchback. That is a dick move. Yeah. So also both of the kids, they're having, you know, everyday occurrences like dimming the lights or closing doors. Oh, sure. Um, Both of the kids, it plunges them into panic attacks and the PTSD and like triggers, you know, those sensory things trigger those feelings. And um, I did also read that Elizabeth does have a relationship with one of her bodyguards. Oh, really? Uh Okay, girl. 
but they didn't like they didn't go into detail of like who he was but i guess like they have like a special i don't know if it's like sexual or anything but it's like her boyfriend so to speak and he's almost like a father brotherly figure to her kids Mm -hmm. and um they did say also that even though her relationship is strained with her mother for obvious reasons she does she is working on forgiving her and that she does let her mom still see the kids and stuff which I, she's a much bigger person than I would be. Oh, I would yeah, be that takes a lot of strength anyway. I mean, just yeah. to allow that to happen. And yeah, if the mom truly didn't know about it, any of it, I'm surprised she would want to see the kids, honestly. I know, yeah. Considering they're her husband, daughter, I mean, it's, it's a weird. Her. And they confirmed it with DNA. Like, they did mm-hmm. DNA tests, and yeah. it's all kids, and it's bleh. It's a pretty gross story, but it's super interesting. And again, back to talking about how you survive this. I mean, I'm sure she just kicked into that fight mode all those years and just kept hope too, you know? I would say it was probably more freeze. I I think it was dissociation probably that kept her alive, literally. And that's, that's a big part of people who go through trauma, that dissociation where you just, your brain basically, well, there's lots of different levels of it, but you basically shut down, um, Mm kind of remove yourself from your own body. disconnect from your body. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to survive that. But the problem is like another ulterior, like an alter ego almost to cope with it. Yeah. That's it's possible, a, yeah. Like when we talk about dissociative identity or multiple personalities, what used to be called, that's a trauma response mm-hmm. where the theory behind that, and I mean, there's psychologists argue about whether or not it's real, but the theory behind it is you've gone through traumas that force you to split yourself into another personality to cope with the trauma. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as getting over something like this or having to deal with any kind of trauma uh, after you survive something horrific, Mm -hmm. Um, what is someone facing when that happens? Before we answer that directly, if I could kind of go back to what we were talking about before about how different people handle things differently. And we talked about the whole evolution that we all go through. But, you know, it does a lot depend on, on who you are before the trauma hits. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean, I don't know, just by looking at this, Elizabeth must have been a pretty tough cookie. Strong broad. Yeah, before the beginning of it. But yeah. um, going forward, you know, I mean, I would think that she would be the kind of person who would have to have therapy like the rest of her yeah. life. Yeah. Because that's so deep oh. and so constant. Um, yeah. And as far as, as doing therapy for trauma, you know, there's different theories about what works best. And they talk about having the the victim replay the trauma, like tell the story over and over and over again, relive the story over and over. But when it's a 24-year-long story, that Yeah, how do tough. you do that? How do yeah. you possibly do that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it was such a drawn out. Yeah. I mean, she was in captivity longer than she was out of captivity before. Mm -hmm. Like, it lasted longer than her life before she was a captive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for that, you just, you become a different person. Yeah. I mean, there's the loss of who you were before the trauma. And I mean, that kind of happens with other trauma as well, like with, with great loss, like if you lose a loved one or if you go through another really big trauma, there's kind of this loss of, of who you used to be before this happened and before you have to live with the memory of this happening. And I mean, for for this, it's that times a thousand mm-hmm. because you've had to adjust yourself to a whole new life underground and then you've had to adjust yourself to life after it and just the the knowledge of what has happened to you it's gonna stay with you you know it's something you're never going to be fully away from it's kind of just something that you learn to live with Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of insane to think about the fact that her these i what makes me upset too is those kids 
like the 19 year old had never even seen the sun. Yeah. God, her vitamin D had long was just yeah. Yeah. Imagine bottom. going from that to a hospital where there's so oh. many people and so many like machines going. Yeah. Well, I wonder how much they knew their life was different. You know what I mean? Since that was their only reality. Yeah. That's a really good point, though. That's a really good point. If you don't know anything about the world, it's not like you know you're missing it. I mean, you can look at that on a lot of different levels. If you're a person who yeah. grows up without a cell phone, sure. you don't know that that's, you know, the end of the world, that you don't have a cell phone. I'm going to plug a movie right. here called Room. I don't know if you guys have heard of this movie. I've seen that movie. I was just thinking that. I was about to mention it. Yeah. Oh, it has great lines. In it. Yeah, there you go. Me and Kenny. But yeah, it's it's basically a story very similar to this, and it kind of examines how this woman and the child that she had in captivity how they see the captivity and I mean spoiler alert they get out and how they adjust to after captivity and how hard it is I mean you would think like you kind of hear this story and you go oh my gosh and then they're out and it must be such a relief but there's a lot of trauma that comes with that too right exactly especially for Mm -hmm. these kids that have known nothing else I mean it's just ongoing trauma it's not quite so simple Mm -hmm. yeah Crazy. Insane. Do you ladies have anything else you'd like to add to our survival mashup? <laughs> <laughs> survival crossover. Mm. I don't know. Do you want, Mom, do you want to talk specifically about PTSD or anything? Do you have like a symptom list of PTSD? Do you, want a, do you want a symptom list, ladies? Sure. From sure. DSM? Because I think it's worth noting, and I've talked to clients about this, that people don't like to ascribe themselves as having trauma. They think trauma just has to be this big, huge thing. I mean, they think trauma has to be the, the stories that you guys talk about, basically. Like, big I've never stuff. had. Yeah, yeah, the big stuff. We call that big T trauma. But there's also small T trauma, which can affect us as well. And some of the symptoms, I mean, it may not be as intense as PTSD symptoms from big T trauma. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone has some sort of trauma that they need to be aware of. And like you said, knowing your triggers is a huge part of it. And I think knowing kind of what PTSD and trauma responses look like is an important part of just life in general. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to sound like a textbook. Are you ready? <laughs> she's I, she's got ready. Can you flippy flappy the papers? I've got my flippy mind. flappy papers in my hands. <laughs> My homework. Um, So this is like the criteria from the DSM-5, the diagnostic manual that we use in psychology. And the first thing that's noted is that you must have been exposed to, like we've been talking about, something traumatic, like death or threatening death. And it doesn't have to actually be you experiencing it. You could just have seen it happening. And sexual violence is explicitly mentioned as one of the types of trauma. Sexual injury or or, or actual or sexual violence. Um, So either directly or you witnessed it. You can even like learn about someone close to you having that trauma and then being traumatized by that thinking about your loved one being traumatized which is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. which you know you would think that would have happened to the mother eventually my god if if she really didn't realize what was happening then to come into realization that had to be a traumatic moment and that she's been living with this guy for 20 years I'm sure she was also sleeping with him which is gross oh oh, yeah thanks for adding that gross note Thanks, Jenny. Uh, Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the second criteria in the book is that the traumatic event is persistently re-experienced. So the person has to consistently go through things like unwanted upsetting memories that come into mind, nightmares, flashbacks. Yeah, dreams. Just having those things that happen where you suddenly are back in that psychologically. 
Um, also involved in that is like physical reactivity. So, so the sweat thing. The you fight, know. flight, freeze, basically. Yeah. Right, right. I'm going to just kind of skip down for a minute to where it talks about the negative alterations in our cognitions and mood because of our trauma. And we have to have at least two of these things on this little list if we want to have officially have PTSD. Um, so this involves negative thoughts or feelings that began or worsened after the trauma in, in one of these ways. So we had to have two of these things. Inability to recall key features of the trauma. So we forget, mm-hmm. we repress or suppress mm-hmm. something that's happening. Overly negative thoughts and assumptions about myself. So you, you think it's your fault. You think that this happened because I did something. Exaggerated blame for yourself or for others. So the blame is excruciating. Uh, Negative affect. So you have a really negative mood, duh, after a trauma. Mm -hmm. Decreased interest in activities that perhaps you did enjoy before. Feeling isolated or difficulty experiencing any positive emotions. Which a lot of those overlap with things like depression. They really do. And that's a big thing that, that I think that we should say is that a lot of mental health issues do overlap a lot. Yeah. So a person with PTSD could also be diagnosed with depression or anxiety. There's a lot of stuff that overlaps there. Like you could be diagnosed with depression, but actually there's some sort of trauma that's giving you the same symptoms and you're not acknowledging it. You're not being diagnosed with it because you're not remembering the trauma or you're not seeing it as the trauma that it was to you. Like it's hard. It's all kind of a blurry mess sometimes. Right. And then the next set is the stuff I think of more often when I think of PTSD. Things like irritability or aggression or risky or destructive behavior. When you were talking about the child who was pulling their hair out and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm Self-harm is often. That's a big one, yeah. um, Especially with sexual abuse. Like you said, it's a coping thing. And I think it goes back to the blame thing. Mm -hmm. That like they're blaming themselves and they feel like they need to punish themselves. It could even be self-soothing, which is a very strange thought that like, self-harm could be a soothing activity but just a repetitive motion even if it's causing us pain right can soothe us um hypervigilance or a heightened startle reaction you know see you see those things in movies where people hear a loud noise and they you know jump Mm -hmm. or scream or whatever which isn't just i mean that's not yeah that's not just ptsd but yeah yeah exactly difficulty concentrating again difficulty sleeping all those things but the big thing about PTSD is that it ha- the symptoms have to last more than a month for you to officially have a diagnosis of PTSD. But I think we can all agree that Elizabeth would definitely yeah. be having issues yeah. for more than a month. Just that 24 years, that mm. quick 24 years. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, at that point, it just becomes so baked into who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to separate yourself from the trauma. Mm-hmm. Poor girl. Mm-hmm. Wow. Kenny. Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> We're going to play weird news with you guys. Yeah. We get to guess. Mom, you have to guess. Are you ready? I just, I just have to say, I always get really excited when I start to, then it's time for Kenny to talk. Because <laughs> Kenny reminds me of my son. <laughs> we have talked before about how Kenny reminds us of my brother, Gabe. Yes. That's a yes. high compliment. It's a way, high Kenny. compliment, Kenny. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, you know, more about people just being in weird places. Uh, a man was found dead in his wife's freezer after a decade, and there was a note w- left with him. What did that note say? Just a general idea of what the note was. Um, it, had a, it, has a, it had a use-by date on it. <laughs> I like that. You forgot the eggs? <laughs> this is for letting the milk go bad. Maybe it was a reminder note of when to take him out and bury him. It was. Jenny's always right. Wait, yeah. wait. Does anyone else have a guess? Any more guesses? Mom? I don't think so. I'm 
Okay. I'm listening. It was a notarized note saying the wife didn't kill him. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> is she a notary? It, I, I read this, I was like, oh, this is interesting. But it's kind of sad. <laughs> he got it notarized three months before he died, which the notary had to be thinking, wow, this is crazy. But um, he got it notarized so that they could put him in the freezer and she could keep receiving his so benefit so check. So she ended up like over the next 10 years collecting $180,000 from the government. Because do we know if he's still, I mean, if they found out he was dead and she was receiving it while he was dead, does she have to give that back? Well, she died and that's how they found him. Oh. Oh. She died and then they found him. Homegirl was living her best life. Yeah. Yes, she was. Did he kill himself or did he just die of natural causes? He, they had a terminal illness, it said. Oh. So he knew he was going to die. So I'm I, assuming that's why he got the note notarized saying my wife I, didn't kill me. I think that's yes. romantic, actually. <laughs> I, I'm with you on this. I think this is a really good husband taking care of his wife. I have to do that. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so cute in a gross, disgusting, murdery <laughs> way. No, I mean, like, like, how was that notary's good. day? Like, he notarized, like, probably, like, a, a license for something, like a fishing license. And then a guy comes in and is like, I have this letter. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Just notarize it. Just notarize wow. it. So wow. Cool. That was a good one. That's good, Penny. Thank you. Good job. All right, ladies. Well, thank you for being yeah, part this of our show. Great. Thank you for having being part of your show. Yeah. Thank you for being on ours. Thank you for having us on yours. Podcasting mm-hmm. is weird, huh? It is weird. It really is a bizarre situation. <laughs> and it's not easy not being able to see each other, too. So I, I think know, everyone did true. a really good job, and this was fun. Yes, yeah. I loved it. We look forward to keep hearing good stuff from you, too. Yes. Oh, you three, all of you. you. All of you. You, too. Same um, with you. Keep up the good work, and we will see you guys hopefully soon. Yeah, before you guys go, will you plug your stuff so yeah. our listeners can find you? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the crossover episode you just listened to included Sip, Survive, Repeat. We are a survival podcast where we drink wine and talk about survival stories. And they're all kinds of survival stories. Denial, what kind of survival stories? We have bear attacks. We have kidnappings. Kidnappings. <laughs> we have people locked away in basements. We have we've wa- got we have bears. We've survival. got basements. We've got <laughs> we've got wine. We've got everything. Yes, and we always end it with weird news with Kenny, who is our producer. Um, so if you guys like what you heard today, uh, you can find us on any of the podcast platforms. And if you really like us, we would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, because that's the easiest way to get us out and about to more people. So what about you guys? Tell us a little bit about Freudian Sips. Freudian Sips, we are a podcast that we drink wine as well, but we talk about brain stuff. We talk about uh, famous psychologists, and we talk about mental illnesses, and we talk about all kinds of psychology stuff, Uh, basically anything that we want to talk about, because it's our (laughs) podcast. Yep. And if you like what you've heard from us, you can find us again on all the podcast platforms. If you want to follow us on social media, we are Freudian Sips Pod on everything. We're Freudian Sips Pod at gmail.com. If you want to get a hold of us or send us questions or anything, uh, we have merch on FreudianSipsPod.com. Follow us, find us, rate, review, subscribe, all the good stuff. Cool. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, happy holidays because yes. I know it's like right around the corner. Yeah. My stepdaughter told me today. Five days. Five days. Oh, I was like, You're oh man. <laughs> you need to take it down a notch, sweetheart. <laughs> so, You're like, every day you right, remind we... me how many days we take away a present. <laughs> I 
throw it in the fire like a crazy <laughs> person. <laughs> Just kidding. I would never. Um, okay. Anywho. Uh, it, it was yeah, lovely meeting you guys. Yes. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you. Yes. Very fun. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.